0: Hey, what's up everybody? Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast. We are a Bible-based church out of Peterborough, Canada, and together we are on a mission to reach people who are far from Christ and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. Each year at Christmas, we sing the same songs we've been singing our whole lives. These classic Christmas carols have so much to teach us about the importance of Christ's coming. And this week, we will consider who Jesus is as we dig into the history and significance of the song, O come all ye faithful. With that, let's turn it over to Pastor Nate with part two of our carol series.
1: Good morning, everyone. Good to see you here. Today we're in week two of our message series entitled uh, carols, carols. And uh, over uh, these four-week series leading up to Christmas, what we're doing is uh, we're actually investigating and looking at the history, but not only the history, the theology uh, that is behind some of the carols that we sing each year At Christmas time uh, these are songs that we all know and love and uh, sometimes though uh, some of the songs that we know and love we don't necessarily understand Uh, you know I was thinking about how each week of the year uh, here at Pathway Church we have uh, visitors and guests that walk through the doors and we always love to see visitors and guests here and sometimes people are coming from other churches and they might come here and they might recognize some of the songs that we sing but if someone comes and they don't normally attend church they're standing here it's like being at a concert with a band you've never heard and all these songs and lyrics are flashing across the screen, and the band's leading, and everyone's singing, and you're like, I don't know any of this. But Christmas is a time of year when, you know, if you visit church, you're going to hear some songs that you know. Because these are faithful hymns of the church that have been sung, you know, in the mall. They've been sung in your home, and a carol sings, and so we know these songs. But do we understand what they mean? Sometimes we sing songs. We don't actually know what they mean. I was thinking about this. Uh, When I was a kid, we used to sing this song, Ring around the rosy, pocket full of posies. You guys know the song, right? It has this fun melody. I didn't know until I was an adult that that was singing about the black plague, like black death. Kids were getting these rashes, and then they would die from the plague. And it's this fun little song, and wow. I was like, okay, I'm not singing that anymore. And then there's the song, The Macarena. Yeah, you probably know it's not good. Uh, Macarena is a song, fun song. Everyone dances and they do their little routine and they do this at wedding dances and things like that. It's, it's really fun. But you may not know because the song is written in Spanish, okay? Uh, but in Spanish, the song is about a girl named Macarena who's cheating on her boyfriend with his friends while he's being conscripted to go to war. You know, it's like, what? What? Uh, we have no clue. So there's so many things that we do. We sing, we, but we have no clue what's going on. Here's a question. How many of you have a Christmas tree in your house? Let me show hands. hands. Don't be shy. Okay, almost everybody put up their hand. Uh, do you know why you have a tree in your living room? No. Why is it not weird to have a tree in your living room in December, but in February you're a weirdo? Like at any other time of the year to bring in an evergreen tree and plant it in the middle of your living room makes no sense. I was doing a little bit of research on this. Really cool story. Some of you have heard of the guy named uh, Martin Luther. And Martin Luther was one of the the early reformers of the church. Uh, his intention was not to create the Protestant movement. His intention was to call uh, to mind some of the errors that the Catholic church had run into. And he posted his 95 thesis on the door on the Wittenberg Chapel and said, here are some issues. Here are some things that the church has started to do that's not in the Bible and it's not right. And he posted it. So this guy ends up leading the reformation of the church. And uh, as the story goes, one night he was walking home and it was a winter night in Germany. And it was a really bright night. You know where the moon and the stars are just really bright. You guys have seen those kind of nights. And he was looking through an evergreen tree, and the star and moonlight were flashing through the branches with the snow and ice. And he had this moment where he's like, this is beautiful. And apparently he went home and told his kids. He's like, kids, I had this moment where you should have seen the starlight and the moon coming through this evergreen tree. And it reminded me, told his kids, it reminded me of how Jesus came down from heaven to be with us at Christmas time." And so they cut down an evergreen, brought it into the house, and put candles all over it to reenact the moment. And later, about a hundred years later, Germans would start to emigrate to the United States and Canada as the new frontier opened up, and they brought with them their tradition of trees and candles, and so the rest is sort of history. So you're all like, well, that's why I do it, that's why I do it, I'm following Martin Luther. So today our carol is uh, the carol, O Come All Ye Faithful, O Come All Ye Faithful. Uh, most of us will know the song, recognize it. Uh, we've, we've sung it many times. I'll give you a little bit of the quick history. The author is, is John Francis Wade. He's attributed as the author. Now, he was a music copyist and a hymnist, so he did write music. Uh, he was also a music teacher. And this song that we sing, O Come All You Faithful, was originally written in Latin, okay? And it's called Adeste Fideles." okay? The Latin song it had four verses. Now, there's some speculation that John Francis Wade actually found the lyrics to the song, because he was a copyist, and so he would be digging through archives, that perhaps the song is actually centuries older, written by monks or uh, someone else in the past, but generally he is uh, accepted as the author of this song, originally published in 1751. Of course, it's a Latin song, so not super helpful for most of us. Uh, 90 years later, Frederick Oakley who was a priest and author in 1841, he translates the Latin uh, lyrics into English and gives it the name, O come, all ye faithful. Now, the original version had four verses that we're going to look at today. Later on, other verses were added. So I think there's up to eight different verses, depending on the hymnal or uh, where you look, you'll find some some different additional verses. We're going to be looking at the original text today. So, before uh, we dive into the lyrics of the song and the scriptures behind it, Uh, I'm going to be performing for you. No, I'm not. Actually, I'm not. Thank you for the excitement. I appreciate that. Uh, We've got a quick video here of the Life Church Band um, performing a version of of the song. will come, all you faithful. Please enjoy. Aren't you glad she sang it, and not me? <laughs> Man, if any of you don't believe in demons, you should uh, come back and try working with our tech team sometime. I don't know. This morning, our video switcher, all the lights were flashing. I, I, it was possessed. I'm sure uh, some weird stuff going on. Um, but anyway, we appreciate our team back there. It makes all our service run and keeps everything going. Yeah, let's give them a round of applause. So the song today, uh, the Latin adeste fidelis, uh, means come faithful ones, or it's translated O come all ye faithful. Uh, Today what I want to begin with is I want you to consider what isn't in the lyrics of the song. And I know the song we just heard was a bit of a mashup, but if you look at the four verses, it's really fascinating to me that the, the, the carol does not mention, okay, it's not very Christmassy, the carol doesn't mention love, hope, or peace which are like major christmas themes. It doesn't mention shepherds, wise men, stars, nativity, none of that stuff's mentioned. It doesn't even mention salvation, forgiveness, Jesus's death or resurrection as as Andrew pointed out this morning, the thing Jesus came to do and it's really fascinating to me that this christmas carol that is so in the forefront uh, really isn't very Christmassy. There, there aren't all the Christmas things. And the reason why is because the purpose of the carol, the reason the author wrote the lyrics, was not to tell us about all the things that Jesus would do, was not to tell us about how Jesus came. You know, the shepherds, the wise men, the angels, the declaration, the manger. I mean, you know the story. The purpose of this carol is not to tell us how he would come or what he would do. The theme of this carol, the theme of this carol, this is really important for us to understand, is identity. This is all about who Jesus is. He doesn't even mention in his four verses what Jesus would do for us. It's all about who Jesus is. His identity. And when we're thinking about identity, we're talking about who Jesus is, but we're also talking about who we are in Jesus. And, and through this lens, the lyrics of the song are going to make sense. And, and it's going to be helpful to us. And of course, the, the refrain, the, the, oh, come let us adore him, is our response to who he is and who we are in him. That, that's what, if you were to kind of back out and say, what is this all about? This is what the song is, is all about. So, let's take a look at the opening line of the song. This is the piece that is probably most familiar. Almost everyone in here will know the lyrics to this. It says, Oh, come all ye what? Faithful. Faithful, joyful, and triumphant. Now, let me ask you a question. The song says that the people who are invited to come to behold Jesus at his birth are the faithful, the joyful, and the triumphant. Question. How many of you feel like you are faithful, joyful, and triumphant? Not a lot of hands going up. And here's the thing. Uh, even if someone was like, yeah, I think that's me, if I were to ask your family and your friends. Give me three words to describe the person sitting next to you. Almost nobody would say faithful, joyful, and triumphant. <laughs> Just not cranky, lazy, I don't know. But the point I'm trying to make is that if this is who's invited to come to the manger, to Christ, the faithful, the joyful, and the triumphant, my guess is that almost all, if not all of us, are excluded from coming. And it begs the question, who does Jesus call? Who does Jesus invite to come to him? And I want to share a couple of passages from Jesus' own lips where he defines who he calls to come to him. Here's what Jesus uh, says. In Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor. Uh, Some translations say all who are weary. Anybody feel a little weary? Okay, getting a few more hands this time, okay? Maybe not the faithful, but the weary, yes. And heavy laden means you're burdened down, you're you're under, you have weight and pressure on you. Anybody feeling weight and pressure? Let me see a show of hands. Okay. Well Jesus says, if that's you, come to me and I will give you rest. Perhaps the lyrics of the song should say, Oh come, all ye faithless. Oh come all ye failures. Because we'd qualify. Oh come all ye leaf fans. Sorry, Uh, I happen to be a Leaf fan. That hurt me as much as it did you. Jesus invites the weary, the tired, the broken. But that's not all he invites. In Mark chapter 2, he says this. He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. If you go to the hospital today, and you go to the triage station, and you say, I want to see a doctor. And they're like, okay, what's wrong with you? Nothing. I feel perfectly fine. I'm healthy. They're going to send you home. You don't need a doctor if you're feeling fine and you're healthy. He said, it's the sick that need a doctor. And he says, I have not come to call who? The righteous. I didn't come to call faithful people. I didn't come to call people who have their lives all together but sinners. Okay, so there seems to be, would you agree, there seems to be a contradiction. What Jesus says, and what the carol says. You guys, do you guys see this? Am I the only one that goes, okay, we have a contradiction here. And it begs the question, is this song theologically accurate? This would be really fun to get a show of hands, just to see how confident you guys would be. Uh, The answer is yes, the song is theologically accurate. And the reason why it is, and it doesn't seem so, would be as follows. That it depends on the lens through which you're looking. The New Testament teaches that we are sinners saved by grace. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So it's accurate for me to say that I am a sinner. But the New Testament also teaches that when I put my faith in Christ and I trust Him for salvation, that I I am no longer just Nathan, but I am in Christ. And in Christ, I am righteous, I'm accepted, I'm forgiven, and I am a saint. I'm a saint. So I'm a sinner in one sense and a saint in Christ. So it depends on which lens you're looking through. For are looking through the lens of Nathan by himself, um, then yeah, faithful, joyful, victorious is probably not the words you'd use. But when I'm joined to Christ by faith, I am now the righteousness of Christ. I have his victory. I have his power over sin and death. This is what the New Testament teaches. So again, remember what I said at the beginning. This entire song is written through the lens of what? Identity. And you can sing these words, faithful, joyful, coming to Christ's manger, if you're in Christ, all those things are true of you, even if they don't feel true. Let me show you a couple of verses in the New Testament that show the other side of the coin. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God so that when we come to God by faith and trust in His Son, in Jesus, we are reconciled to God. And He says, for our sake, He made Him... To be sin, who knew no sin, is talking about Jesus. So that, let's all say this together. In Him. In who? In Jesus. When our faith is in Him, when we're trusting in Him, that in Christ we might become what? The righteousness of God. You say, but I'm a sinner. The Bible says that. Yeah, true. But in Christ we are the righteousness of God. That's a different identity. Do you understand what I'm saying? Let me show you one more. In 1 Corinthians 15, 56, it says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. The Bible teaches. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. So that's all true. But, thanks be to God, He gives us the what? Victory. They're like, oh, we're actually victorious? Yes, through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we are joined to Him, and His victory becomes our victory. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. His joy becomes our joy. His power becomes our power because we are joined to Him by faith. And so these, these lyrics in verse one: 1, oh, O come all ye faithful. Throw those back up on the screen for me. Come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. This is only possible, and this only describes you if you are in Christ. And if you're in Christ, all of this is true. Does this make sense? It's our identity in Christ. And the author is going to spend all his time on the theme of um, identity. So let's, let's take a look at um, the next uh, couple of lines in the first verse. It says, O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. This is one of the only references that would even let you know this is a Christmas carol. If you didn't know that, it's like, Bethlehem, oh, well, well like, that's probably about Jesus. So come and see what happened in Bethlehem. Come and behold him born, Jesus' birth, the king of angels. I've highlighted this phrase. Because as someone who studies the Bible, my first thought was, okay, king of angels. Why would the author of this song use the phrase king of angels? You will not find that phrase in the Bible. If he had said born king of kings, you'd find that in the Bible. You You would find lots of references to Jesus being king and righteous ruler, prince of peace, all these things. But king of angels, what does that mean? And in order to sort of understand why the author chose this phrase, I'm going to have to go back and show you some church history. You guys okay with that? Pretend we're in class today. You may not know this, but in 325 AD, there was a council called the Council of Nicaea. It was actually the first council of Nicaea. And what's significant about this event, we got this painting of all these, you know, bishops gathered around. There were over 300 bishops and church leaders from around the Roman Empire. That came together for 30 days and produced a document called the Nicene Creed. Some of you have heard of it. Maybe for some, this is the first time. To give you a bit of backstory to this, uh, Jesus ascended into heaven. And before he did, he sent his disciples out and he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel and share this news with everyone of all nations. And so uh, they eventually made their way out throughout the Roman Empire. And the message of Christ spread. And as you also probably know, um, the Christian church was greatly persecuted. First by the Jews and then by the Romans. And people who followed and loved Jesus and worshipped him were arrested. They were beaten, sometimes thrown to animals, put in the gladiator rings, and they had to worship in secret. They were the persecuted church. They were hiding in homes. They were hiding in catacombs to worship anywhere they could go to be safe and to worship Jesus together and to open the scriptures. So the church is being persecuted for 300 years. And in spite of intense persecution, guess what? The church grows and flourishes. Around 325 A.D., uh, Constantine becomes the undisputed emperor of Rome. And Constantine is, looks favorably upon the Christian religion. And you have to understand, for the first time in almost 300 years, church leaders are able to gather under one roof and have conversation. They've been spread out. Different groups and sects of Christianity all over the place. And all these Christian leaders, over 300 bishops are there. Even St. Nicholas was there. I'm not kidding. The guy, St. Nicholas, from whom we get Santa Claus, right? St. Nick. He was, at, he was at the Council of Nicaea. There's this actually, this really cool story. At one point, uh, he comes up and he, he slaps this guy named Arius because he's so mad. And, uh, and he gets kicked out of the council. I don't know if it's true, but it's a really cool story. He probably put a lump of coal in his shoe on the way out. Um <laughs> So we got this group of bishops joining together. And here's the thing. For 30 days, do you know what their primary discussion was all about? Who Jesus is. The primary conversation was about the identity of Jesus. They also talked about when the Christian church would celebrate Easter. Would they follow the Jewish calendar? A couple other things. But the primary objective was to discuss who is Jesus. Now you may wonder, did the early church fathers in the first 300 years of the church not know who Jesus was? Yeah, they did. They had taught throughout christendom that jesus was god that he was the son of god they taught the trinity but the reason why this became such a debate was because around this time a man by the name of arius who lived in alexandria began to teach a a new doctrine and it was spreading through the church and this doctrine was essentially this his doctrine said that jesus was not god he was an angel he was the first creation that god made so god created jesus he was like an archangel And then he gave Jesus the power to create the earth. And so you have this Jesus who is less than God. He's like, God is here and Jesus is here. And then everything else kind of goes afterwards. And this this doctrine started to spread throughout the church. And at this council, they're like, we need to settle this once and for all and write a definitive statement about who Jesus is. And so they produced a document called the Nicene Creed, which we'll look at in just a moment. At the council, they voted on who Jesus was after both sides were represented and it was almost unanimously in favor that Jesus is God and not an angel. What's interesting about this is actually that um, some of you may be familiar with Jehovah's Witnesses. And they'll appear at your door and they'll, they'll share literature with you. Uh, years ago, about 15 years ago, I had a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses, sweetest people, uh, came to my door and they're like, hey, we'd love to talk to you about God. I'm like, sweet, I love talking about God. And they're like, we want to share with you our literature. And I said, that's fine as long as I can share with you some of my literature. And they said, no, we're not allowed to read other things. But we've got our magazine. And I was going to say, no, thanks. But I looked at the front of the magazine and said, who is Jesus? Had a picture of Jesus. And I'm like, that I'm interested in. So I took their magazine and opened it up and began to read. And I was shocked to find out that they believe Jesus is an angel. He's he's an archangel. I'm like, what? How could Jesus be an angel? And And so I started pulling up all the scriptures and I looked at all of their reasons for it. And I'm like, well, this can't be right. So I met with them again, and we spent three hours discussing it. And I met with them again. I went to their house, and we opened up the Bible and the Greek lexicon, and we were trying to figure out, you know, who this Jesus is. It's a fascinating conversation. So the Jehovah's Witness Church has embraced this, this doctrine that was turned down at the First Council of Nicaea. Now you're going, what does all this have to do? Well, I'm trying to explain to you why the author said, King of angels. Not first of angels, King of angels. Jesus isn't an angel. Jesus is the one who created the angels. Do you see the significance of that? Let's look at the Nicene Creed. This is going to be important for verse 2. The Nicene Creed, we'll read the first half of it, um, says, We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus. I should state, because we're not going to get the end. At the very bottom, it's like, end the Holy Spirit. That's like all they say about it. But most of the text is on Jesus because it was really significant for them to identify exactly who Jesus is. So we believe in one Lord Jesus, Christ, the Son of God, begotten of the Father, the only begotten, that is, this is really important, the essence of the Father. Jesus isn't something different than God. It's not a different essence. He's the same essence. They, they continue with these statements that I've put in yellow because these lyrics are taken word for word right into our hymn. And you'll recognize them. God of God, light of light. He's God just like God is. He's light just like God is light. Very God of very God. Begotten, not made. Here's a fun word that you can use uh, with your friends at work. Co-substantial with the Father. That literally means of the same substance. So it's not like God is one thing and Jesus is something else. It's like they're they're of the same substance. God is eternal, so is Jesus. God is holy, so is Jesus. God is all-knowing, so is Jesus. Co-substantial with the Father. By whom, this is speaking about Jesus, all things were made... Both in heaven and on earth. Notice this clause. Arianism would have taught that Jesus created everything on the earth under God's direction. The first council said, no, 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 he made everything in heaven and on earth. He wasn't an angel, he's the king of angels. He's the one who created it all. And so now we go to, to verse 2 of the song. Let's take a look at it. Now, I want you to see right away what the author of this hymn was doing. As I told you at the outset, this whole hymn is about who Jesus is. And he says, God of God, light of light, lo, sorry about that, he abhors not the virgin's womb, very God, begotten, not created, O come, let us adore him. It's like, he's pulling these, these lines directly from the Nicene Creed about who Jesus is. It's a definitive statement. But i want to focus in on this for just a second. Lo, he abhors not the virgin's womb. This is the only other instance, really, that you're going to see Christmas here is that you've got this virgin's womb thing. And what this talks about is how you have God, a very God, okay? Think about this. The same God who created the heavens and the earth, created the angels, created all things, the sun, the moon, and the stars, that same creator God abhors not the virgin's womb. He's going to enter into human history. It's, to understand that is mind-bending. Reminds me of the Matrix movie or uh, what's that other, uh, Inception? Because it's like the God who created the world now enters into it becomes human. It's like how do you how do you wrap your head around that? I don't even know how you wrap your head around that, but the early church said this is true. This is exactly what happened. And it's essential that he did. Isaiah chapter 9, a text that you would be familiar with at Christmas time says this, for unto us a child is born, physical a child, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Great angel. No. And his name shall be called something less than God. No. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. How can you call a son that's born into the world the everlasting father? It doesn't make sense. But this is what the prophet says Prince of Peace. So the author of this hymn is going okay, we have God of very God, light of very light, begotten, not made, not created. It is God himself. The sun entering into our world through the womb of a woman. Oh. Like, it doesn't matter about the camels and the shepherds and the cute sheep. It's like God has entered into our, our world. And so with that, we turn to verse 3, which says, Sing choirs of angels, sing in exultation. You know the story. The angels appeared to the shepherds and they sang, you know they didn't say that. They said, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward all men and they sang in the heavenly host so the angels are singing because they know how big a moment this is us people we got no clue that the God who made us has now entered into the storyline of history the angels are like this is mind-blowing they're like oh singing and we're like what do I get presents can I get an ipad there's like this moment, the angels are singing. And, and what the author of this hymn says is, he says, Sing all ye citizens of heaven above. Now, it sounds like he's still talking about the angels, but I believe he's actually talking about us. And this is what I said earlier. Remember how I said that we're talking about identity and that when we are joined with Christ, we have a new identity. And I wish we could talk more about that. Uh, but in this case, we turn to Philippians chapter 3. Kate, okay, I want you to see this. This is Paul writing to the Philippian church. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. So who are the citizens of heaven? We are those who have their faith in Christ. So we're we're invited to join in this marvelous worship that the angels gave at Christ's coming because our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a dual citizen. I'm a citizen of this earth, but I'm a citizen of another kingdom, another realm. And one day, when this world ends, when this life is over, I'm going to be with him in his new kingdom because I have my citizenship and it was given to me by Christ. And none of that's possible if Jesus is not God, if he did not come in the way that the scriptures tell us he came. It says this glory to God in the highest. Oh, come, let us adore him. I want to take a few moments to look at the last verse. and and then we'll begin to wrap things up. It says this, Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning. Jesus, to thee be glory given. This is really important. The author is saying, because of who we've just said Jesus is, King of angels, God of God, light of light, not begotten, not made, begotten, not made, because that is who Jesus is, then to him be all glory given. He's giving us the reason why we can worship jesus here's here's one thing that's really interesting if jesus is not god if he's an angel then it is blasphemy to worship an angel which is why when i was hanging out with my jehovah witness friends i said hey can we pray together they got really uncomfortable i said, why, why can't we pray together? We're, we're praying to the same God. Yeah, but you're going to talk about Jesus. You're going to pray in Jesus' name. I said, no, no, no. We'll pray to the Father. Is that okay? And they're like, okay, fine. So then we started praying, and I started slipping Jesus in there whenever I could. And, uh, and then my phone kept ringing in my pocket, because I was like, you know. And I, I reached in my pocket. It's my wife. And she, I was gone so long, she thought maybe they'd murdered me or something. Um, she does that. She gets scared sometimes. And uh, but I'm like, I'm talking about Jesus in my prayer because like for them to pray to Jesus, to sing songs about Jesus is blasphemy because he's not God. He's not worthy of praise. But the author of this hymn is saying, because of who Jesus is, it changes who we are and we can worship him and to him be glory and honor. He's been given the name above every name. Next week, you're going to hear from Andrew, our family pastor, and he's going to be talking about away in the manger and, and that's going to be really, really great. By the way, it's a family service, so we're going to have like kids and youth involved. You don't want to miss next week. But we worship Jesus because of who He is. And let's look at the last uh, line of, of the song, of the fourth verse. It says, Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing, Oh, come, let us adore Him. This reference is a direct reference to John chapter 1. Perhaps you know it. In John chapter 1, it tells us who Jesus is. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, wrote these words later in his life. He says, in the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When When I was walking through this with my Jehovah's Witness friends, their Bible, their version said, was a God. With a little A in there. And we open the Greek lexicon, and we're like, where'd that come from? And they're like, oh, we don't know. We can't figure it out. It's like, it's not supposed to be there. He's God. He's the Word. It continues. It says, he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. Not just the things on earth, but all things in heaven and earth. He's the king of angels. And without him was not anything made that was made. A few verses later, in verse 10, kind of wraps things up by saying this, and the Word, Jesus, became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory of the Son from whom the Father, the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I want you to consider this. Um, the lyrics to this song focus in on who Jesus is. And I'm telling you, uh, we could talk all about, and we will in the coming weeks, what Jesus did when he came. He came for the lost, he came for the broken. He came for the sick and the lame. He came for the sinner. But his intention was never to leave us there. His intention was to bring us into his family. To give us the new identities as sons and daughters of God. So that we could be with him forever. And none of those things that we celebrate at church. None of the things that we claim Jesus did for us and does in us and through us. None of that's possible if he isn't God. Which is why I think this carol is so important. For us not to lose sight Of exactly who Jesus is. Because he is God. And this is what's so beautiful. If you read the New Testament, here's what you'll find. Throughout the text of the New Testament, you'll see these statements that talk about being in Christ. In Christ. With Christ. Through Christ. And it's talking about how when you and I place our faith in him, our lives are joined with Christ. And by the way, the way we celebrate that here at this church is through water baptism. And when someone gets in the water... (laughs) It's weird because you're just getting dunked in the water. But as you go down in the water, we say these words buried in his death and raised in newness of life. We're joining our lives with him. He died for my sins and I'm acknowledging his death on my behalf. And he rose from the grave to eternal new life. And that will be mine now and forever. And so we're acknowledging ourselves. So, by the way, I need to let you know, I think on January 9th, second service of the new year, we're going to have a baptism service right here. We're going to celebrate as a church, as people... Uh, walk through the waters of baptism, and publicly say, I'm identifying with Christ. His life is my life. And because He's God, and because He came, and because we, through faith, can be joined with Him and in Him, the sinner becomes a saint. The lost is found. We move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, and that's worth celebrating. And it's because of all this that we sing O oh, come, let us adore Him. O oh, come, let us adore Him. O oh, come, let us adore Him, Christ the Lord. Father, thank You that in this place, We can be reminded from the scriptures and from this carol, O Come All Ye Faithful, who exactly Jesus is. May your son become big in our minds, in our hearts, and in our lives. May we live each day in complete surrender to you. May we recognize who we are in you, the identity that is found in Christ, and live out of that identity. Thank you that it's not our love, but your love in us that changes the world. That is it's not because of all the good things I've done, but because of your righteousness. That I am righteous. That we can sing, O come, all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. It's your joy. It's your righteousness. It's your victory. And we thank you in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. Hey, that wraps it up from us here at Pathway. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. Be sure to keep up with us on all of our socials. Our website is PathwayLife.com. Instagram. Dot com forward slash pathway life church, and of course, Facebook.com forward slash pathway life. We appreciate you guys tuning in, and we hope to see you soon. Bye.